Good to be back in Galatians, and it would be, it would seem like the thing to do would be to start in chapter 1 and do a quick recap, but I think this, this particular passage will be enough to get us back in to see the problem that Paul was addressing and the solution, and then to kind of give us a bridge to where we're going. Um, The word that jumped out at me this week was the word labor. And I understand that word means different things to different people. It tends to mean different things to men than it does to women. Though I will say it can tend to mean one thing for men, but it can mean two things for women. I don't know if you like have a moment. I... I tend to think of this one particular moment when I was a teenager when my good friend Scott, who lived across the street, his dad worked at a place downtown that was, they sold athletic equipment, and they had a flatbed truck filled with lime for athletic fields, and they didn't have anybody to unload it, and it was August and he had me and my friend come in and unload this truck, 50-pound bags of lime, entire flatbed truck um, in the August sun. And I remember when we got done, we'd, we had sweated and so much, and the lime had come out of the bags and stuck to our bodies that we looked like ghosts walking around. And our arms were so cramped that we couldn't bend our hands back, you know, like this. So we were walking around like this with our bodies coated white. It was a fascinating day. But that's what I think of when I think of labor. Now, if you were to ask my wife, she would probably think of when our first daughter decided to arrive five and a half weeks early. She was due November 29th. She thought, let's, let's arrive October. Um, <laughs> that should be good. And after an entire day of trying, day and a half, whatever it was, I can't remember, um, of stopping labor, the doctor said, we can't stop your labor, ma'am. Let's try to kick labor into high gear. And by that time, Kelly was just so exhausted. She's just like, yeah, whatever, let's have a baby. Um, I just remember it was the third Saturday of October, which means Tennessee was playing Alabama, and it was the third quarter. And the doctor, the doctor made me turn the television off. I'm, I'm, he did make me do that. It wasn't that big of a deal. It was one of the few times of history that Tennessee won. Um, so I, re- I remember that. My daughter's good luck to them that year. Um, so, uh, so some women can think of, of, of both of those, but men can only think of one of those experientially, right? Um, in today's text, Paul's going to talk about labor twice experientially, and he's going to talk about both of these experientially. And you ladies are going, uh-uh. Okay, one of them is metaphorical. I'll let you guess which one that is. Now, Paul often uses this word in his letters. He talks about laboring to the point of exhaustion, just, of just working so hard because he loved God and he loved people. And he didn't see people as like, Uh, something to be checked off a task list. He didn't see people as a problem to be solved. Uh, He he saw people who needed to to know God, to be known by God. He saw people um, 
who needed to be formed a certain way. And that was what he labored for. And this, this continuing problem in the New Testament and in Galatians was that people would start going that way. And once they got going that way, they would turn around and go backwards. Um, it's surprising how much of the New Testament is written for that very reason. Um, to keep people from turning around and going backwards once they got started in Christ. And in, in that day, it was always, it seems, the law in some shape, form, or fashion that people would come along and say, yeah, but you need, if you really want righteousness, you need the law. Gentiles, you need to become Jews, and Jews, you need to make sure you hang on to Moses. And this was so frustrating to Paul, because as I read at the beginning of the service, he just felt like, did I labor in vain? So let's look at, at Paul's labor today, because it's, I think it's very easy for us to think we don't have this problem. Because nobody's... Has anybody this week been approached by a Jewish person saying, you know what you need in your life? More Moses. Anybody, anybody have circumcision discussions with you this week, men? Like, if you... Yeah, so, um, so, uh, so, um, right, it's just, this seems so disconnected from us. But listen, we are just as susceptible to, and, and I will say a Bible church, right? Like, we've got Bible in our name, so we're like, we're pretty proud of that. And, you know, we've got certain ways we do the Bible and interpret the Bible, and like, this is, this is how you should do the Bible, and we can get kind of legalistic about that, and, and this is how, when we read it and how we read it, and these are the things we do. It's just very, very easy to have all of these practices that may be connected to good principles, but we make laws out of the practices, and we think the practices, that's where my righteousness is before God. Um, so I think we have to be very, very careful our own selves about starting by faith, even in our confession, okay, God, I'll, I'll be a better law keeper. Um, we're all tempted to turn around and go backwards. And Paul says a word about this all throughout Galatians, but in particular, he brings out these words, labor. I don't want to, I don't want to have labored in vain. And then he uses the word labor like he's having a baby. So let's talk about this for just a minute. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's, but now you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, and I'm afraid I've labored over you in vain." Now remember, we're dealing with Jews and Gentiles. A lot of this, I keep, I keep going back to, to, to Peter at the church potluck, if you will. And you've got these Gentiles in one part of the room, and then you've got these Jews in another part of the room. And Peter, though he was Jewish, 
was sitting with the Gentiles because he knew that he could eat anything he wanted to because he was free from the law. And he knew he didn't have to wash a certain way and these Gentiles didn't have to do any of that. And he would sit with them. But then when these really strict Jews showed up, he was so afraid of their opinion that he would leave the Gentiles and sit with the Jews. And I keep thinking about that with every text of this because they were saying all of you, Gentile and Jew alike, um, yeah, Jesus is great, but you need to make sure your righteousness is founded in law. And, 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 and Paul uses this picture of knowing God. You used to not know God. And when you did not know God, you were enslaved to not gods. Now, when Paul is talking to Gentile pagans, um, like, like, like when he's in a city filled with idols or when he's talking about meat offered to idols, he says things like, well, yeah, those are gods, but they're not gods. They're made by human hands. So you can understand the Gentiles, right, hearing this and going, gods, but not gods. But you can even go back to your, to your Old Testament. You can go back to like First and Second Chronicles when the priests kind of just start doing their own things and they, and they can just make anybody a priest and the priests just kind of do things their own way. And you can see the prophets come and saying, well, you guys aren't even really priests and you're not even doing the sacrifice. You're this, the God you're serving is not God. It's God, but not God. So I think it, it's, it's, it's easy to see here this applying to Gentiles, but I think Paul is speaking to Jew and Gentile here. Um, be careful that you have not lost sight of the God that you came to know, and not only that you came to know, that who knows you. That is an amazing thing. You fashion a God by hand, and you can worship it, you can sacrifice it. That God will not know you in return. You labor over the law, and that law can do nothing for you in return if you are making that law your righteousness. And he says, how can you turn back again? And here's a little term we used back in um, at the beginning of chapter 4, and I believe at the end of chapter 3 up there. Um, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? whose slaves you want to be once more. And this is, this is amazing. He's talking to believers. He's telling believers, you can become slaves if you don't keep moving in the right direction. These weak and worthless elementary principles, Jew and Gentile alike, because if you go the direction of law as your righteousness... You're just going to end up either as, as prideful because you think you're doing such a good job with the law, or you're just going to end up as despondent and hopeless because you can never live up to it. And you're just going to end up living by the flesh in your own power, and it's just going to be whatever elementary worthless principles and weak worthless principles of the world are. He says this over in Romans about the law. He says the law, because of your flesh, the law is weak and powerless because your flesh simply isn't able, it's made weak by the flesh. Even over in Colossians, I don't want, I mean, all of Colossians chapter two, I would read it to you, but nobody likes, wants to be read in all of Colossians chapter two. But he says, see that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elementary 
elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. And he goes through this whole thing. They wanted to observe these weeks and these months, these days. They're trying to take you back to this calendar where you have to do this on this day and this on this week and this on this month. And Christ already fulfilled all of that or he will complete fulfilling that one day. That's all been met in Jesus. And they're trying to tell you that you're righteous by keeping the calendar right. And you can't do that on this day. And you can do that on this day. And you better not do this, 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 and this on this day. Paul says, all of this has the appearance of wisdom, but it's not going to help you when you're battling your own flesh. And he says, I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. And I'm amazed that this is Jew and Gentile alike because he told us earlier, there is no Jew, there is no Greek, there's no male, there's no female, there's, there's no slave, there's no free. You're all one in Christ. But isn't it fascinating? He says, if you go backwards, you're all going to be one in your slavery. <laughs> you're you're going to want to make these distinctions between Jew and Gentile, but you're all just going to be slaves together. And then something fascinating happens in verse 12. I've got to point this out to you. There's two things happening in verse 12. Paul is going, he's been given all these doctrinal and theological and biblical arguments here. And he's just kind of, I'm going to look at it from this angle and this angle and this angle and this angle. He just did it again. But now Paul is going to get very emotional. Paul is going to get into their history. Paul is going to talk about their relationship. Paul, Paul is going, I want you to hear this. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. Become as I am. You know what's stunning about the words, become as I am? Okay, it's not stunning. <laughs> I love grammar. This is the first command in Galatians. We made it to chapter four without an imperative. Paul has not told them to do anything yet. He's only been laying out all of this biblical basis for who they are in Christ and how the gospel works and where their righteousness is and who God is and who Jesus is and how this all comes together biblically. And the first thing he tells them to do is become like me because I became like you. It's the first thing he tells them to do. I, I think that's pretty amazing. And he's, he makes this very emotional appeal, appeal based upon their history together. This is unlike anything he's done really yet. When I came to you, I, I met you where you are. This is very much like follow me as I follow Christ kind of appeal. You did me no wrong. And now there's a little history here that's kind of fuzzy. We don't know everything that's happening here, but apparently Paul had some sort of bodily ailment. When I preached the gospel to you, I, I had this bodily ailment. My condition was a trial to you, but you did not scorn or despise me. So whatever Paul's physical ailment was, it must have been a little bit nasty because they didn't go, ooh, gross, Go to Ephesus, right? They, they were like, ugh. It says, you received me as if I were an angel. You received me as if I were Jesus himself. And he says, 
what happened to that blessedness? What happened to that joy, that mutual joy we shared? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. So he must have had some sort of funky eye disease going on, which can be fairly gross, I guess. I don't know. But you, we had such a connection, and you had such affection for me that if you could have given me your eyeballs, you would have. And this, listen, listen to this plea. Am I your enemy now because I told you the truth? Oh my, can you feel that? And then he's talking about now, about those, those, those Jews, those legalists who've come in. And he says, they're making a lot of you. They're very passionate towards you. They're very jealous for you, but not for good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. You picture what's happening there. These people are coming in. They're like, oh, yeah, they're just very passionate about these people. Yeah, I love it. Being very, they're just kind of like putting a fence around them. No, you're ours. No, don't listen to Paul. <laughs> you're ours. I'm jealous for you. It's good to be made much of for a good reason. It's good to be, have someone be jealous for you. And not just when I'm present with you. And then listen to what he calls them, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Okay, you moms in here who've had kids, you, you maybe have an idea of what Paul is feeling here. He's, he's obviously using this metaphorically, but... The ang- I'm in labor again for my children. I'm in anguish again for my children. He says, I wish I could be present with you. I'm having to talk to you by letter. If I could be present with you, maybe I could change my tone. I'm being very straightforward in this letter, but I'm so perplexed about you. I don't, what is going on with you? I want to be with you. But as it is, I feel like I'm in labor all with you. What a phrase. I'm again in the anguish of childbirth. I'm labor again until what? Until Christ is formed in you. In other words, these legalists who've come in, that's not their goal. Their goal is to to, to fence you in and make you good law keepers. I'm in labor to see Christ in you, filling you in, formed. What, a, what an incredible picture. Christ formed in you. Christ filling you up, taking shape inside of you. Paul says, that's what I labor for. And I, I'm in anguish. I hope you can feel the emotion in that. And Paul is just saying, I feel like everything that we had together, Galatians, is just, I feel like you're going backwards. It feels like everything I did there is going to come to nothing. And then you're just going to go down this path where you're just going to be slaves 
to the world. I hope, I hope you can feel um, just the, the two sides of this and how this hits us. Um, Christ does not offer you to enter into a life where you become a more committed rule keeper. Right? Like, I know it's New Year's, right? Christ does not say, come to me and you can really be resolved at keeping those rules. I will make you just a really good law keeper. That's not what Christ is asking you to enter into. Formerly, when you did not know God and when you were not known by God. When Christ prayed in that high priestly prayer there, right as he's about to enter the garden and pray and be arrested, he's praying to the Father and he says, you gave me all authority and I use that authority to give eternal life to those you gave me. And just imagine him saying that to the Father. You gave me authority. I'm going to lay down my life to give life to them. And then he says, and this is eternal life, that they can know you. The one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Can you see the son talking to the father in that moment? You sent me to give my life at great expense so that there could be a relationship that starts. You see the difference there between what Paul is after and what these legalists are after. We're going to make a big deal out of you so that you can be better law keepers for us. Paul's like, no, the the big deal is that you can know God. He went to huge expense for you to know him. And he knows you back. That's just not, that's not possible anywhere else. And when, that, when you enter into that, the spirit in you, who says, Abba, Father, which we saw weeks ago, you're adopted as a child, and it says right there in, in verse 6, chapter 4, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Christ, he comes into you. It's, this is wild. Christ begins to be formed in you. Like you start taking on a a Christ shape. Like if you've ever, we're in Tennessee, um, my great niece and great nephew were there. I'm a grunkle. I love being a grunkle, but it's, my great niece, my, my great nephew, he just, he, he's eight months old. He doesn't do a lot, but he's incredibly adorable. But my great niece, she's like five, so she can play hide and seek. And so she hides. And um, 
she hides behind the curtains. <laughs> so the curtains are shaped like her, right? So you go to find her, and it's like, well, there's shoes. And then there's a Presley shape in the curtains, right? She's, she's formed them into her shape. And so, you know, you've got to go by a few times and pretend you don't see that, right? That's, that's, and when a kid hides and hide and go seek, you've got to show it a lot of grace. And, wow, I can't find you, right? But most often you just look for something that's shaped like a kid. <laughs> right? They get in something and it's, the kid is formed in whatever there it is they're hiding under. Um, just picture Christ in us and he's making us Jesus-shaped. The first I love about this, where Paul said something and didn't say something he could have said, is in Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but... Oh, there's two options. Do not be conformed to this world. Like this, this world will make you a shape. And it's just easy as can be. Y'all, you just, y'all, you don't, really, you don't have to do anything. It's just like putting jello in a mold. What does the jello do in the mold? It just does nothing. It just kind of sits there and bees jello, right? And it just, you don't have to do much. You can just drift and be conformed to this world. You can be world formed, but Paul could have gone a very different direction than he went. He could have said, do not be conformed to the world, but here's some other stuff you can be conformed to. Be conformed to this. Here's 10 rules. Here's some laws. Here's some things to be conformed to. Be like this. But he didn't. He said, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Offering your body as this living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, your spiritual worship. So you just kind of picture then the law is outside of you and you're trying to conform to this thing that's outside of you. Paul says, no, Christ is inside of you and he is forming inside of you and you're just renewing your mind. Renewing your mind. Renewing your affections. Letting your heart just worship. Think new ways. Feel new ways. Desire new ways. Hope new ways. And then transformation happens as you become Jesus-shaped. How's that for a, a, a New Year's resolution that's not a New Year's resolution? Like, just what if I were just asked, how do you feel like Christ is being formed in you these days? How do you, how do you see your life taking on a Jesus shape? And if that's a struggle, then how, 
how do you see yourself conforming to the world or, or maybe just taking on a, the law and finding your righteousness and your life in the practices instead of the person? Conforming to the world. Right? You see the difference? One is from the inside out and the other is an attempt at being outside, maybe in. But let's be real. If you've been around the church long enough, the church will let you get away with outward appearance. Um, But we don't want that, do we? (laughs) We want internal transformation, Christ formed in you. Maybe that's something, just something you can write down. How is Christ being formed in me? How am I conforming to the world? How am I turning to law instead of the person of Christ? How am I knowing him? How is he knowing me? Good questions. Let's pray about them. Would you join me? Lord, um, where would we be? Where else would we go for words of life? You alone have them. (laughs) The flesh counts for nothing, but the words you give us are spirit and their life. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. I, Jesus, I, I can't fully grasp that right now I'm seated with you in heavenly places and that right now you're inside of me forming my life. Um, I do know that there's not a day that goes by that this world doesn't try to squeeze me into its mold. And I know that's true for my brothers and sisters, and it's tiring, so tiring. But Jesus, I just, I have to believe that you've called us to far more than trying to run up the down escalator or try to run down the up escalator or whatever. Just... You've done so much more than stick us on a treadmill. You've called us into relationship, and I pray for my brothers and sisters that 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 would just be so precious, so valuable, that we would just love time with you. God, I pray for Creekside Bible Church that we would be that we would be a Bible church because we're a Jesus church and Jesus was a Bible guy. Um, Lord, just for my brothers and sisters that we would just be willing to ask ourselves the hard questions here. But God... You had Paul write 
a letter to Galatia. Like if 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 this letter ended now, it'd be easy to stop and say, "Well, there goes the church at Galatia." But there must have been a lot of hope for the church at Galatia to be formed in the image of Christ, to say no to this legalism, to say no to the gods that aren't gods. And so there, there must be hope for us to be formed into the image of Christ, no matter whether we're coming to this brand new and we're trying to shed an old life or we're coming into this year 50, 60, or 70 and we're trying to just get back this um, the joy of our salvation. There's always hope when Christ is in us. I pray that we'd feel this and know this, God. Thank you for Paul laboring <laughs> and that we have his words and that they're Holy Spirit words and your words, Lord. Bless the hearing of it today in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Sunday Morning at Creekside Church in Spring, Texas. We're glad you joined us. For more information, please check out our website at www.mycreeksidechurch.org.